They've watched Citizen Kane a combined 200 times. Elliot's first words were, I personally thought the use of Dutch angles was derivative in the 400 blows. And Nathan's favorite historical figure is Fritz Lang. Now they're bringing that snootiness to you with Magellan's at the Movies. again the big news i guess uh there's two big things i want to talk about because there's two movies i know you're interested in coming out both this week and next week so talk us through are you excited this week driveway dolls which i think is ethan cohen's new movie before he goes back to working with his brother on a new movie reportedly and then next week doom part two so, Elliot, are you excited for these movies? Are you Have you been seeing the reviews? Uh, what do you think? Well, um, I was excited for Driveway Dolls until I started learning more about it. Uh, like, I read an interview with Ethan Cohen and Trisha Cook, who is the screenwriter. Well, they're both co-screenwriter and co-director. Or maybe co-editor. Not sure. Doesn't matter. The point is... Uh, they were talking about the movie, and the word that they kept using was trash. Um, the idea that it's, like, from the, I don't know, 80s, 90s era of, like, grindhouse, sort of, sort of a bit grimy, trashy films, which is not really what i'm here for and then a lot of the reviews i've read have not been very positive a lot of talk mm -hmm. of very try hard sort of uh wackiness a lot of like mismatched characters so i don't know maybe this might be one to rent on the other hand doom part two has been getting really strong early reviews um, on Rotten Tomatoes, which isn't necessarily the best metric, but the one that I'm going to go with for now. Uh, the first movie had an 83% positive. The second movie has a 97% positive so so far Sheep out of 88 reviews. So that's, that's a pretty respectable leap. I like Dune. Uh, the book. Uh, I love Denis. I enjoyed the first movie a lot. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited for this one. I think that it's definitely going to be worth seeing in theaters because whatever else, I think that Denis is an incredible director. He has a fantastic eye for spectacle, for effects, for just like the filming of a movie. So yeah, that that's those are my that's my thoughts on that interesting yeah i saw a lot of the same reviews of driveway dolls i'm definitely if i see it at all it will certainly be a rental sort of situation uh doom part two i rewatched 
and reread. I rewatched the first movie and reread the book this past month, which just confirmed to me that the first movie is not very good. But I am still excited for the second part. I'm very interested in how many people I've seen in reviews saying that this second part still feels like the second movie in a trilogy, which I've seen in interviews Denis talking about that he really wants to adapt Dune Messiah, which is the sequel to the original book. Which apparently, from stuff I've read, as well as I'm reading the book currently, kind of exists as Frank Herbert trying to make sure everyone gets the point of the first book as, like, obviously as possible. Uh, which is interesting. So we'll see. We'll see how I feel about it. But I'm definitely going to be going to see it in theaters because you're definitely right. It's Denis, he makes him look incredible. That was my big thought as I rewatched Doom Part 1 is, holy cow, all of the special effects in that movie look fantastic. Except for the one where Paul has a vision and he's, like, fighting the war or whatever. That looked terrible but everything else looked great <laughs> so yeah yeah that movie is a looker aside from that one shot i know exactly what you're talking about <laughs> um there's also something uh, i want to mention and we'll probably talk more about this when we address the oscars but we have now seen the zone of interest the very buzzy sort of uh to me, at least, maybe you've gotten a different read, but to me, it seems like it's kind of the dark horse of the Oscars race, uh, that it, it might come from behind and take a lot of stuff. It might completely fall on its face. Um, but I, so I have a lot of thoughts on this movie. Uh, this The like headline would probably be that I can honestly say that I've never seen a movie quite like this before, which when you've seen as many movies as I have, that's not something that you can say about most movies. So that's something at least. Um, I actually do think, well, I won't get into, I won't get it into it too much. I think that there's some issues with it as a story that it has some story issues, but I can, but I think that it is pretty incredible as a, as an artistic achievement. It's definitely a movie that made me think a lot, that made me feel a lot, which, again, I can't say that about every movie that I see, or maybe even the majority of movies that I see. So I, I do think there's a lot to recommend it. If you're up for this kind of movie, which is not going to be everyone, I, I hasten to add. Yeah, it, it's an interesting movie. I think we will probably talk about it a bit more. We are planning on doing kind of an Oscars pre-episode. We don't know what all it's going to entail, but we'll definitely be talking in depth about the Best Picture nominees, of which, at this point, I think both of us have seen nine of the ten. And I don't think Elliot's seen Poor Things. I'm catching that very soon, hopefully. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, there... anyway. Let's wait, start talking about the... Wait. What? Did you know that Poor Things is based on a book? Yes. I did not know that. I went to I was at Barnes Noble yesterday and I saw that stupid picture of Emma Stone in the fluffy dress and I was like, what the heck? What is this? And it said now a major motion picture. It it really threw me for a loop. 
Yeah, what's it? It's got a funky name, doesn't it? Like, the year of... It's not called Poor Things. I can't remember. I did know that, because I've... I, I follow your ghost, so I've been following this movie from when it was first announced. Yeah, that's... Whatever. <laughs> Hold on a second. No, it is called Poor Things, the book. Is it really? Yeah, although the full title is... <clears throat> Poor Things, colon... Episodes from the early life of Archibald McCandless, M.D., Scottish public health officer, which is a bit of a mouthful. Interesting. <laughs> okay. Anyway, that's enough about movies that we're not reviewing today. <laughs> Let's talk about the movie that we're here to review. Let's try and bring this in, this episode in, a bit under what we did last time with that. <laughs> So, Elliot, we're doing The Hurt Locker. You chose this one. Break it down for us. What's the deal with The Hurt Locker? Why'd you choose it? And, um, yeah, let's dive in. What's the deal with The Hurt Locker? What's eating Gilbert Grape? These are all legitimate questions. So, The Hurt Locker is a 2008 war thriller film directed by Catherine Bigelow. If you'll cast your mind back to the uh, favorite director's episode of this program i gave Catherine bigelow an honorable mention uh i've seen three movies of hers this movie zero dark 30 and detroit i think my least favorite of those is probably zero dark 30 and that movie's great so that should tell you something about her caliber as a director this movie is actually notable for its as a piece of movie history because it made Catherine Bigelow the first woman to ever win the Oscar for best director. And it was the first movie to win best picture. That was to, the first movie directed by a woman to win best picture. So great stuff. Congratulations guys. But the content of the movie is that it follows an explosive ordnance disposal team of three members. You've got uh, James Sanborn and Owen. Those are the three ones with James kind of being the focus of the movie. He's a roguish maverick type, doesn't play by the rules. Everything you do not want in your explosive ordnance team, but he's the one defusing the bombs. He's the one in the bulky suit uh, defusing bombs. They are in Iraq during the Iraq war. So I think it's set in 2004, somewhere around there. Um, and basically, it follows this team of soldiers as they go around the the, the Baghdad area, I think, um, diffusing bombs, interacting with the locals, and generally being pretty uh, mixed on the situation. So yeah, this is the like fourth or fifth time I've seen this movie, and just to get some opening thoughts out of the way i really like it i think that this is a great movie it's probably my favorite of Catherine bigelow's films i think that the way this movie's style it's very much documentary style cinematography um it's got like a kind of a low res film grainy picture going on there's lots of Shaky cam, I mean, lots of shaky cam. I mean, holy cow, there is shaky cam. Um, there's lots of, like, sudden zooms on stuff. 
basically the kind of stuff that you would imagine someone with like a Radio Shack camcorder would be doing if they're filming all this. Um, I think that it's a great character study of the of uh, James, who is like kind of. Well, it, the movie spells it out in the beginning with its first screen where it's got this quote about war being a drug and that is a drug that Staff Sergeant James is very much addicted to. The way that it portrays him and his kind of like re his relationship with where he is and what he's doing, I think is really well done. Uh, there's not a bad performance in the bunch. Again, the directing honestly is fantastic. Um, the... Uh, the the there's some truly incredible tension and scene crafting in this. I'm really excited to talk about my favorite moments uh, from the film of just like stuff that the first time I watched it made me like inhale sharply and sit up in my seat and go like, oh dang, that's that's bad. That's not good. We gotta we gotta get this figured out. It is worth noting that this movie is not very accurate at all to what actually happens in these kinds of situations to the point that it actually copped a significant amount of flack from uh, former service members who complained about the lack of authenticity. And we'll probably get into that later, but just, just to let everyone know, because I want it known, I've spent like an hour last night before I watched this movie reading now defunct early 2000s military blogs about this movie and uh, the practice of disposing with explosive ordnance. So long story short, I think this movie's great. I think that it's got some really strong characters, really strong character work, really strong performances, and some truly top shelf scene construction. And I'm excited to talk about it. Nathan, let's hear it from you. Let's hear it from the mouth of the horse. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing or what I'm saying. Just start talking so I can stop. Uh, yeah. I didn't know you had seen this movie that many times. That's kind of interesting. I've only seen... This is only my second time seeing this movie. Uh, we watched it together a while ago, and I remembered really enjoying it. I thought about it a reasonable amount, I guess, since then, but I... I would echo a lot of the things that you felt about it, that the scene construction is amazing, the character study of James, Jeremy Renner's character, is a really fascinating look at this sort of mindset of people who are in these situations. I think I liked it a little less on this rewatch, just because I do think so much of the power of the movie is in its seeming realism in how it is ascribe trying to be as gritty and realistic as possible it's trying to convince you like you said that it's almost documentary style filmmaking so they're trying the movie's trying to convince you that what you're seeing is real and is a hundred percent accurate so i think watching it this time there's just a few things that i was like there's no way that's how that works or there's no way that's something that people would do which kind of hurt my experience with the movie. But overall, I really enjoyed this as well. 
And yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about it a little bit here on this podcast with you, Elliot. <laughs> well, good. We're in agreement. Um, I actually let's go ahead and address <laughs> the realism aspect right out of the gate. Then, um, so I agree with what you're saying. I, I don't. It's not for me or anyone really to say what is and is not valid grounds upon which to dismiss a movie. Um, if, and unfortunately we're fresh out of Iraq veterans to have on the podcast to give us their perspective. So from the outside looking in, I could say that obviously if a service member dislikes this movie because it's inaccurate, fine. I mean, that's completely valid. There's nothing there's nothing wrong or, or like invalid about that. I personally do not dismiss the grounds on the, the movie on those grounds just because I think that there are other things the movie is trying to do that it does very well. But I certainly agree that there are places where the realism that the movie is reaching for is a bit beyond its grasp because of what's going on. So the most common complaint that I heard that I read about on these blogs was stuff that's very technical in nature. So like wrong uniforms, uh, wrong styles of helmets. Apparently the, the most common complaint by far was the idea that explosive ordnance disposal teams do not operate solo. Like they don't just sort of go out on their own. Um, I I'm reliably informed now at least, that leaving an FOB, I'm not sure what that stands for. I'm assuming the place where they where they stay when they're not out in the field. Leaving an FOB with, like, without th three trucks worth of people and security is not allowed. And even leaving with three trucks, just three trucks, would be considered, like, unnecessarily risky. So that kind of thing, that's interesting to learn. Like, I like learning stuff. It doesn't really do much for me just because I'm focused on other things in the movie. But there are parts where I'm like, okay, dang. Why are, why are the explosive ordnance people dealing with this in this manner? The, the moment that springs to mind immediately is like one of the last sequences where they are called to the site of a detonation to try to determine how it was that this bomb went off and they decide to go looking for the culprits and at that point especially on this watch watch through i was like whoa is this really their job shouldn't somebody else do that and shouldn't they shouldn't they not do that alone and so that kind of it's not like it's obviously not a death blow to the movie but it does kind of hurt it in the realism factor that it's clearly wanting the audience wanting to put at the forefront of audiences minds yeah well and in that scene Samborn even says like hey there's infantry people over there and their job is to do what we're about to go and do i guess my main issue in terms of the realism because like like you said we don't neither of us have been in the military we have no concept of this and most of the people i would say who watch this movie probably have not been in the military so 
in that sense, things like costumes, helmets, incorrect, those things, we're never going to notice that. I mean, and that's, that's just a difference in experience. I mean, I, I watch Whiplash and I'm like, that's not really how you drum or that's not really how you do jazz band, but whatever. My main issue is the movie is purported to be so realistic and so gritty and all these things. I just couldn't shake the feeling that people in the army can't get away with the things these characters were getting away with. Like, if James is really that much of a wild card and constantly doing things that are outside the parameters of the way operations are done, surely he would be reprimanded and forced to stop doing that. Like, after the first time that he takes care of a bomb, why would Sanborn not instantly go to a commanding officer and say, hey, he wasn't responding to me on our comm system. He was throwing a smoke in the street so I couldn't see him. Like, he was doing all these things that were impeding our ability to kind of to do the job as safely as humanly possible. And I feel like the army of any place would be a place where you would not be able to get away with such behavior for very long. And it's an issue in my mind because the movie is trying to at least somewhat make a case of this environment kind of breeding these sorts of qualities in James, that it's having a negative effect in James, that he's, you know, that it's being a drug to him. And... So the fact that I don't think in the real world the environment is able to do those things because the army has things in place to, like, somewhat limit some of these things that James is doing. So that was my main sort of area in the realism that I was just like, I don't think James could keep doing the things he's doing. It's the same feeling I have every time I'm at home and mom's watching Blue Bloods. I'm like, dude, how has Donnie Wahlberger not been fired a million times? Like every episode he does something that I'm 100% sure would get you kicked out of any police force in America. But anyway, that's... <laughs> Elliot's making faces. He doesn't love my example. Well, first of all, his name is Donnie Wahlberg, not Donnie Wahlberger. That's a very strange thing to say. Oh, my bad. Second of all... Sorry, I worked at Wahlburgers for a bit. <laughs> so, what is Wahlburgers? I don't know what that means. It's the restaurant they have. What? There's one in Indianola. Whatever. Who cares? Just be quiet. Um... Unfortunately, you that, didn't know that Wahlburgers. That's what? Who cares? <laughs> okay. Unfortunately, that might be explainable by just like the culture of police forces. Like, I too am very frustrated by the conduct of these people on the shows that you're talking about. However, that is something that does happen not infrequently and just because of the culture of like protectionism and uh loyalty to a fault might not get reported which i think 
I don't I honestly don't know if that's the same thing for the military or if there's a different culture there. I certainly hope there's a different culture there. I don't know. I can't really comment on that. So that's we'll we'll call that one a wash. Um but now that we've addressed the realism aspect, I think we can uh move on to something a little bit more positive. Uh let's talk about the characters. So we've got three main guys. We've got James played by Jeremy Renner, Sanborn played by Oh no, I'm not gonna remember his name. Anthony Mackey. Anthony Mackey? Yes. And uh Owen played by Brian Garrity. I'm not sure I've ever heard of him. But I think that they I think that this team is really well written. They have very distinct personalities and very distinct roles within the group. I think that they play and spark off of each other very well. So obviously, like we've been saying, San or not Sanborn, Will James is the uh wild card rogue cop kind of guy, plays by his own rules, gets stuff done. Uh, in a very dangerous and stupid manner. Sanborn is much more straight-laced. He's much more of your kind of like... Uh, he's a lot more of what you might imagine when you hear that there's going to be a soldier character in a movie. That he's protocol. He's just wants to get this done and go home. That kind of thing. And then Owen is good friends with Sanborn and obviously less enamored with James, but he's much more uh, nervous. He has a much more nervous disposition. He's more kind of fresh-faced. He's unsure of himself. He's not very confident. He's very... He's multiple times talks about being afraid of dying in this place. He's much more, I think, aware of his situation or is aware of a situation in a way that James and Sanborn aren't. That James really embraces the conflict and the danger. Sanborn just kind of wants to navigate it. He just wants to get through it. And then Owen is more like, oh man, this is, this is frightening. This is intense. This is dangerous. And I don't really want to be here. So I think that, like we said with, um, oh gosh, I'm, I'm tired. And I keep on blanking on names. Um, past lives. It is very difficult, actually, to write very distinct characters with very distinct characteristics. And I think that this movie absolutely pulls it off and uses it to very good effect. That the way that they argue and have moments of conflict and camaraderie does a lot to bring out the movie's themes of of the of the conflict of the opinion of the soldiers, <coughs> excuse me, on their situation. Uh, like we've already, well, like I've already said, with the different <clears throat> perspectives that each one of them has on their situation, that mostly comes out in their moments of conflict or in their moments of uh, connection, where they'll talk about, Sanborn talks about just kind of wanting to go home, just wanting to get things done. James talks mostly about his past missions and about uh, his strategies on, in the field. And Owen talks mostly about just wanting to go home and wanting to not die, which is very sympathetic. That's something that I can empathize with. But what do you think about these characters and their dynamics? 
I, I agree. I, I think the strongest part of this movie is the three main characters. And I would say structurally, the movie is very episodic that it's it. And it's got like a countdown even that it says blank many days until like they're out of Delta in, until the end of their tour that they get to go home. And it becomes, I think the structure of the movie is fantastic because they go out every day, they go to some new thing that represents some amount of danger. And then we get to see the characters react to and deal with these new dangers. We get to see Owen, I think is one of the more interesting characters in the movie who I don't remember being that fascinated by the first time I saw it. But this time I thought it was really interesting just to see him dealing with like you said all of these fears that he has i in the scene where his therapist comes with them and then his therapist ends up dying he can't even really deal with the reality of it like he finds his helmet he clearly died but owen's running around and he's kind of uh, he's acting like there's some chance he can still find cambridge even though there clearly isn't and then even when Owen gets sent home, it's I think it's very interesting the way each of these different, each of these sequences where they're put in danger pulls at different threads and shows different facets of the characters. For instance, like James early on, it's just, oh, he's a wild card. Oh, he's really, you know, all over the place. But then in the sniper shootout scene, he's much more helpful. He's much more under control. He's not doing anything crazy. And then when they find the um, the body of the kid that he's kind of become friends with, or what he thinks is the body of this kid that he's become friends with, we see another layer to it. And we discover new information that, oh, he's got a kid at home. He's got this woman who he's not married to, but that he's kind of in a relationship with. And I think it's it's such a fascinating, it's such a great structure because it, is able to pull on all of these threads and look at all of these different ways that these characters are reacting to their environment in different ways and how they deal with, again, the growing things. Like you said, Sanborn seems much more okay with everything, but then in that scene, I think it's after the suicide, after they, after Owen gets shot, they're driving back to the base and he says that he that he is very scared by the things that he does deal with this reality that there's this element of chance and randomness that can dictate whether or not he lives or dies and that he's kind of terrified by this thing which is the first time we see that that for the rest of the movie he seems very put together he's fine he seems like he even when they find the body bomb, he's like, yeah, it's disgusting. Let's move on. Let's get the job done. And then clearly, after enough pressure, anyone's going to crack. But yeah, I, I think the characters are fantastic. And I think the way the movie is structured is a fantastic way of pulling out what's interesting about each of these characters. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. That none of these characters, or our main characters, are are one note. That you do, you could initially be forgiven for mistaking James as a simple uh, one note wild card kind of character. But he, as the movie goes on, there is a more loyal, protective side of him that comes out, especially as it relates to Owen, who he, uh, in that scene that you're talking about, they're 
trying to snipe. They're having a, a sniper battle with another sniper who's some insane distance away, which is another aspect that I frequently heard cr criticized on these blogs that it's unlikely an EOD team member would have the like the training required to be a skilled sniper or with maybe with this particular sniper rifle. I'm not sure. They were using a lot of jargon that I did not understand. Uh, but anyway, so, uh, oh, uh, Sanborn is on the rifle. James is his spotter, I guess. And Owen is kind of looking out for other stuff. And Owen is starting to break down. He started to panic. Uh, they need to, like, wipe the blood off of some bullets so that they'll fit, or not fit, but they won't get jammed in the sniper rifle. And he can't do it. And eventually, uh, James comes down off the ridge that he's on and just, like, tells him, it's all right, I'm going to keep you safe, uh, this is okay, and he shows him how to, how the best way to spit on the bullets and clean them off so that they'll work with the rifle. And again, like you said with Sanborn, there's that scene, it's, like, it's the last scene that he's in, I think, um, is after there's a failed, mm, yeah. uh, they fail to get a bomb vest off a suicide bomber and it's a very close call for Sanborn and uh in this scene they're in the truck and Sanborn has a bunch of scratches on his face from shrapnel that scratched him and he's talking about how like one inch to the left and it goes through a vein and then I bleed out and I'm just dead and he starts he starts talking about wanting to have a son which is something that he actually had expressed ambivalence about earlier in the movie, that he had a relationship or a prospect of a relationship with a woman who wanted children. He didn't know he was ready. And then suddenly this brush with death inspires him to kind of, to want to leave a legacy, uh, to want to leave a mark um, because he's afraid that if he dies, the only people that will care will be his parents. And then when his parents die, it'll be like he never even existed. So that's a very, and that's a very powerful, mm. affecting kind of moment because in terms of realism, I can absolutely see how that, how that kind of situation would have that kind of an, an effect on person. Like that relationship with death and with danger would lead a person to want to, would lead a person towards these life affirming moments like having a, having a child or ha creating a family and uh, ensuring your legacy. So great stuff there. Well, and what's even more interesting is the environment has the opposite effect on James, that when he goes home where he has all those things, right? He has a family, he has a son, he has people who care about him. He doesn't want to stay. That even... And I think that's the other thing that's very interesting is the movie is able to capture an array of reactions to the environment that the movie is depicting. That while Sanborn is pushed towards living and making something that's real back at home, James can't do it. He feels like an alien every time. I love that scene in the grocery store where he just he looks so much more out of place than he did when he was in Iraq when he was dealing with these things and then of course he you know he goes back to it and it seems like it's because it's the only thing he feels like he's good at or that he loves which is what he says to his son who doesn't even understand him 
So I, yeah, the movie is very interesting, and the characters are what make it interesting. Yes, that's that's a great sequence. So like, and it's again, it's an example of some fantastic directing from Bigelow that. You have that scene where they're they're in the car and they're talking about this and Sanborn is kind of having a meltdown and he asks James, like, how how is it that you're not affected by all this? And he says, I just try not to think about it. And then it immediately cuts to him in the or it doesn't cut. I think it fade. It's a fade cut to him in the grocery store. And what we're told, what we're shown but not told good stuff there is that in this environment, he can't stop thinking about it. Um, like, I love how he's constantly bringing things up about Iraq to his wife or his maybe wife there. He, he mentioned that there's some ambiguity about their relationship, but he's talking about like, they need more bomb techs. And he mentions this story that he heard about somebody detonating a bomb in the middle of a market. And when he has this scene with his son, he's talking about the things that he loves. And it's clear that only when he's outside of this environment can he is he able to really think about and really engage with on a deeper level his situation in Iraq and what the conclusion the conclusion that he comes to is that he likes it it's something that he's good at something that he understands it's something that makes him feel alive death and danger makes him feel alive and this is an element of praise that i saw on a lot of these blogs uh, I think a few people refer to it as suddenly civilian syndrome, um, which is uh, something that's as old as conflict itself. The idea uh, or the experience of veterans coming home and struggling to readapt to a life where they're not constantly in danger of losing their lives. And so James then becomes a very tragic character that this is kind of his life now, his life is death and danger because that's the only thing he understands or that's the only thing that he feels like he understands that he feels like he's good at. And so he goes back to it. It's, it's great stuff, which leads me to, uh, the scene construction. Now this is some good stuff, guys. This is the good stuff right here. Uh, the tension in this movie I mean, this movie is basically Alfred Hitchcock's quote about there being tension not in the blast, but in the anticipation of the blast. This is basically that quote, the movie. <laughs> because almost every set piece revolves around them trying to defuse a bomb in different circumstances, under different uh, constraints, time constraints, or like under different threats from people. Um, one of the things that happens a lot is they that James, he's like the lead technician or the person who's the one with his hands in the bomb. Um, it will constantly be cutting to just people standing there and watching. And the and they have no idea who any of them are or why they're watching. Like one of the things that they're always worried about is technical equipment because like a phone, could be used to detonate, could be used to remotely detonate a bomb or a camera could be used for filming for like propaganda purposes. And so they're constantly, the characters are constantly panning the environment, looking for these people and trying to understand their actions, which then leads to the audience doing the same thing, which creates an incredible amount of tension. And it doesn't hurt. In fact, it helps 
that the way these scenes are shot is masterful. Like, here is where the shaky cam and the zooms and stuff really comes into its own because it definitely has that destabilizing effect on the audience, making them feel nervous and making it look like this is being filmed by somebody who needs a diazepam stat because their hands are trembling. And the first, like, the first set, the first bomb that James disposes of has this great moment where he fixes the bomb and then he finds another wire and he's like, oh, I better follow this. And he follows it to like a hub of wires that uh, he thinks is connected to a bunch of different bombs. And so he's like, and so he pulls it up and then there's this like, overhead shot of him pulling it up and then just this spider web of bombs being pulled out of the dirt that is a fantastic shot like last night when i watched this i <laughs> just started clapping because i was like well done that is great and that's the kind of that's what i'm talking about like that kind of stuff is everywhere in this movie these incredibly well constructed moments and scenes that just make you especially the first time when you watch it just make you go like oh boy now now we're talking now th now things are getting serious yeah it's fantastic and it's an amazing example of finding new ways to do tension like there's only so many ways we can see him defuse a bomb before we're like okay we've seen him defuse a bomb we get it it's stressful so then Later in the movie, they switch it up. They have the sniper fight, which is very stressful, but a very different type of stressful from the other scenes. They have them going in and finding uh, the bomb body, which has the added tension of Cambridge outside talking to civilians, which just has the added tension of, again, we don't know who these civilians are, what their motives are, and then it turns out they're negative. And then them trying to find the perpetrator in the aftermath of a bombing. It's fantastic. And I think the opening of the movie also does a lot to increase the tension in the other scenes. Because the opening is a failed defusement. It results in Guy Pierce's death. And right from the get-go, the movie is showing you the consequences of not, you know, defusing a bomb, of not taking care of it in fast enough or taking care of it well and i mean guy pierce is a reasonably big star so the entire movie you would you would be well within your rights to think oh anthony mackie is gonna die or you know jeremy renner is gonna die especially also when guy pierce or not guy pierce ray fine shows <laughs> up for literally like four minutes to just show up and then get shot <laughs> so the movie does a great job of keeping tension even though yeah like 60 70 percent of this movie is scenes that are built around building tension it, i don't think it ever felt like oh great another one of these scenes i don't care anymore i'm not tense it was just oh this is another way of making me nervous yeah which is fantastic yeah that opening scene it, it's a lot like the opening scene of the original scream where drew barrymore dies despite being a giant star who was all over the marketing but yeah that's another thing that i think this movie does very well is the idea it, it does a very good job of capturing the idea of a i think it's called like an asynchronous war a war that doesn't have like fronts and battle lines 
Because if you didn't know, if you need a little bit of a history lesson, this is after 9-11. The Bush administration falsely claims that Iraq is creating weapons of mass destruction or that it was behind 9-11. That's a complete lie. It was it was more about oil and stuff, but that's neither, that's neither here nor there. So America goes in and invades the country, but they but after Saddam Hussein's regime is toppled, an insurgency appears, and the insurgency conducts campaigns of guerrilla warfare, which of course don't have battle lines. They don't have like command centers or uh, trenches or artillery or stuff like that. It's it's something. It's a battle that you don't really know when you're fighting or not. Like you have no idea. And the idea is that you have no idea who in the crowd is the one with the phone trying to detonate the bomb or trying to record it for propaganda purposes or who's the one that's just standing there because they have no idea what's going on and they're just watching. Um, So again, that adds to the tension. And I think it's very good encapsulation of what that environment must be like and the stress that it must exert on the people there because like so often in this movie you just have no idea what's going on you don't know what people are saying there's no subtitles for the arabic so you don't know what people are saying they could be saying anything they could be saying like hey i'm just here to watch the bomb or they could be saying hey get ready to die (laughs) um uh so and this is most prominent, I think, in the scene where they go to the aftermath of the suicide bombing because they don't know. There's so much that they don't know. They don't know how it was, how the bomb went off, if they're still around, the perpetrators are still around, if any of the people here are insurgents. And yeah, that's a, it's a very important part, important component of the movie's tension building technique and an important part of its... I don't know, depiction of the Iraq conflict. Yeah. Well, and again, it feeds back into the stuff we were talking about with the characters, that because you, the audience, are constantly in stress and constantly tense, you can understand very easily why this level of stress and tension would result in the characters having the experiences that they have. Again, the movie is stressful because the characters are stressed, so you're stressed, so you're understanding them better. It's a fantastic, again, it's a fantastically constructed movie. Which, I mean, you've already talked about the cinematography, but again, I would just like to doubly praise the cinematography. I think it's so fantastic. It does such an amazing job of knowing when to have kind of a more steady cam shot of, like you said, the shot where he's pulling the spider web of bombs up or stuff where the aftermath of a scene or when to be very stressful and be very hectic. I think I saw that when filming the scenes, Bigelow and her cinematographer would set up like five or six cameras on a scene and then just have them rolling through the entirety of the take, which resulted in this movie having one of the biggest filmed to film ratio, which is like the amount of stuff that they shot versus the amount of stuff they edited down to the movie Uh, apparently it's close to like the filmed to film ratio on coppola's apocalypse now which was a famously like brutal movie in terms of him filming way more than he needed to 
And so again, this movie won best editing. It a hundred percent deserves it. Not necessarily because the editing is fantastic, but because there had to have been so many, so much footage and then being able to pare it down to these incredibly well-crafted tense action scenes. It's, it's a masterwork. I mean, let's be honest. It is. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, Elliot, Elliot, do you have any negatives here before we go into, I've already said kind of my negatives, but do you have any? Uh, I don't, although I do have another positive that I think we should point out. And that's that a lot of this movie's effect <laughs> effectiveness, I think can be attributed to some truly incredible performances, especially from Jeremy Renner, who I've never really thought that much of, but in this movie, he's great. And I think that he really sells the difference in attitude between the scenes in Iraq and the final sequence of him at home. Like that, let's give credit where it's due. That sequence would not hit as hard as it does. If Renner wasn't giving that kind of nuanced performance where you can see the difference in his comfort levels that he's, he's clearly observably more uncomfortable at home in the kitchen or in a grocery store than he was uh, diffusing bombs in Iraq. And the same thing goes for Brian Garrity as Owen and especially uh, Anthony Mackie as Sanborn. Uh, he does a great job of giving us the different levels to his character of the like calm, composed soldier who's just trying to get the job done versus the more uh, nervous, kind of broken man at the very end. It's enough to make you wonder if maybe his talents aren't being put to the best use in the MCU. But again, that's neither here nor there. Um, I don't really have any other negatives. I've talked about the realism aspect um, from both the technical level and the narrative level. Uh, there are times where I do think the shaky cam can get a little bit distracting, but that's absolutely a nitpick and definitely in the minority of the scenes most often the overwhelming majority of the scenes the shaky cam does a great job of grounding you in the action um yeah i can't really think of anything that's not like just a quibble of like a weird line delivery or anything worth noting basically interesting well let's get let's get to a rating um yeah, I really like this movie. I think Elliot got to take the lead on a lot of the points, but I agree with a lot of the points. Um, my only real negative is that sometimes the movies, and again, it's so fantastically constructed. So any moment where I am not sort of seeing what the movie is trying to be portraying, where I am thinking, hey, this is not realistic and this is not a legitimate depiction of something, is a reasonably large issue for me. I mean, when when uh, he goes, when James goes to get his glove and Sanborn starts talking about like, oh, we could detonate it and like blame it as an accident. I'm like, that's, what? Does he really dislike him enough to kill him? Which just, it seems more intense than I, I, I think I'm ready to believe. But it's hard for most of the movie, for the majority of the movie, I'm bought in to what the movie's selling me. It's just a couple of times when I'm not. But overall, because it's it's so fantastically constructed and it does have so many great positives, great moments, I'm going to give it an 8.4 out of 10. Very nice. Uh, yeah, 
this is a fantastic movie. Uh, this is a great movie by a great director. Uh, I I wish that Catherine Bigelow made more movies. I don't. I'm not sure if she's working on anything right now or what she's doing. She is. She's. She okay. is. Well, then I'm excited yeah. for it. Uh, but anyway, this is yeah. This movie has some truly immaculate scene construction. It has a fantastic understanding of tension, character development. Um, it does a great job of portraying a difficult and chaotic conflict. Uh, there are issues with realism. Uh, there are issues with technical realism that aren't a huge deal for me and issues of narrative realism that are a bit bigger of a deal for me. But those are pretty minor nitpicks, uh, at least in my eyes. Um, so I, I feel totally comfortable giving this movie an A. Interesting. Well, this is, I didn't know, know you liked this movie so this much, so this is maybe an even more interesting thing. So, this movie did win Best Picture. Elliot, I want to know, would you have picked this for Best Picture? I'm going to give you the Best Picture lineup the year it won, and you're going to tell me if you think it, so The Hurt Locker won. The other movies nominated were A Serious Man, An Education, Avatar, District 9, Inglorious Bastards, Precious, The Blind Side, Up, and Up in the Air. So do you think yes. it deserved to win? Don't even need to think about it. Uh, there are some movies that really? I really enjoy in that list. I like District 9 a lot. Up in the Air, Up in the Air is pretty good. Uh, I really like A Serious Man. That's a Coen Brothers movie. Um, but yeah, the I hate Avatar a lot. I'm really glad it didn't win. <coughs> But uh, yeah, so there there are movies in there in that list that I really like, but I think that Hurt Locker for me wins by a fairly comfortable margin. Interesting. I would probably have to give it to Up in the Air. I really like Up in the What's Air the matter with a you? ton. So <laughs> it's great. It's a fantastic movie. We gotta maybe we should review it for the podcast. It's so so good. Well, let's not fight. After we've just had such communion over our shared appreciation for this movie. Instead, let's keep the positive train going by sharing our appreciation for some other movies. Nathan, if someone likes The Hurt Locker, what else should they watch? Well, I, I, I think they should watch a lot of <laughs> movies. But the one I'm going to recommend for this episode is another early 2010s best picture winner. And that's going to be Ben Affleck's Argo. I'm a huge fan of this movie. I think uh, it doesn't have a ton of comparisons to this in terms of it's not a war movie, but it is a movie constructed around making you feel tense at things that are, I think in this movie, things that are less tense than bombs, things that like, Government officials trying to find you and kill you. Uh, it's fantastic. It's a great movie. Uh, it's similar to this movie. It's trying to get by on realism, on trying to make you buy into the tension of this bonkers plan that the movie kind of follows. I've read the book. The plan has, this movie has little to no basis in reality. It kind of the general details of it are sort of true. But I don't think that changes the fact that this is a fantastically constructed movie, just like The Hurt Locker. Uh, it's also in the Middle East, but I don't think that's a very relevant similarity. So yeah, I'm going to do the Ar Argo, just because I don't see enough people praising Argo. So go watch Argo, and then 
talk positively about it online. Well, that's a pretty tenuous connection, although I do enjoy that movie quite a bit. Um, another movie that I think makes very good use of shaky cam, which is something that sometimes directors can get a little bit carried away with. I'm looking at you, Paul Greengrass, and the Jason Bourne movies. But my recommendation is one that I might have done before. Nathan says I have, and then that made me think that maybe I did, although it's possible that that just kind of created a false memory by him saying that. Talk to Nathan about memory and communication one of these days, and you'll have yourself a conversation. Or actually, you'll have yourself a lecture delivered by Nathan to you standing there silently. Um, but that's neither here nor there for the fourth time. My recommendation, which may or may not be returning, is Full Metal Jacket. Uh, this is probably my favorite Stanley Kubrick movie. Or I don't know. Maybe it's this or Paths of Glory. Doesn't matter. But this is a movie about uh, the Vietnam conflict. Um, this movie is kind of, it's not kind of, it absolutely is split into two halves of, uh, a group of Marines at, at boot camp and then in the conflict, uh, in Vietnam, it has a very similar MO to the Hurt Locker in that it's trying to capture the essence of a conflict and the impact that it had on the people fighting it. This movie especially in its first half, is about the like, the dehumanizing, uh, kind of like animalistic nature of war, especially of the Vietnam War. Um, the whole first half of the movie is about this one character getting beaten down and turned and having his humanity stripped away from him to be turned into a killing machine. The first half is definitely the best half, it's the most effective, although the second half is not bad by any means. It's just a little bit overshadowed by it. But if you like The Hurt Locker for its attempts to capture the essence of a conflict and to try to really dig down into what these types of situations do to people, the psychological and, for lack of a better term, spiritual effect that they have on soldiers, absolutely watch Full Metal Jacket. And if you're a cursing man, you will have so many new quotes from Arlie Ermey's drill sergeant character. I wish I could quote him, but I can't because literally two words do not pass without him swearing. So yeah, I should also note that life is hard and full of disappointments before we get, before we, we get out of here. But yeah, there's that. Yeah, that's a great movie. I can second it as I'm sure I did the first time we did this. Yeah, pretty exciting stuff coming up next week. We're going to be covering one of our favorite movies. It should be a very, very, very positive review unless I rewatch it and <laughs> decide I hate it for some reason. But I'm very excited for that. And then uh, the week after that, we're going to do a fun little Oscars episode, give our thoughts on the nominees, maybe some predictions, maybe some discussion of Oscars in years past. Uh, it's going to be really exciting. We're very excited for it here at the podcast. So, yeah, we hope you have a great week and you tune in next week for another episode.